Hey folks, this is Ian Foster, and this is If and When, a podcast where I talk to other creators about how and why they do their thing. To start, I'm talking to colleagues, friends, and veterans of the arts community at home here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. These are not so much traditional interviews as they're a chat over coffee or something a little stronger. So come sit in and have a listen. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in again to the podcast. My name is Ian Foster. Uh, We are getting towards the end of 2019. Isn't that crazy? It's now November the 14th. We're truly in the Christmas season now. And the first thing I'm going to tell you about is our Christmas tour that we have coming up very, very shortly. Nancy and I have been working hard on this new show And we started in CBS on the 24th with Tis the Season with Michelle Noftel. We do a couple of songs there as a guest. Then we get on planes and we go to Ontario and New Brunswick for shows. We're back home for our first Newfoundland show of the tour on December 12th at St. Mark's, which is a particularly highlighted event in this podcast because my guest this week is the Reverend Rob Cook, who is the Reverend at that church. And doing a show last year at St. Mark's was how we came to meet Rob for the first time. And he's a really cool dude. I'll talk more about him in a second. After that December 12th show, We travel across the island. We play shows uh, all across Newfoundland uh, from from Central to West Coast. There are shows for you that are within a reasonable Newfoundland driving distance, which still might be ours. Who knows? It's a big island, but you can get tickets. They're all at ianfoster.ca, Eventbrite, uh, and the church office for the St. Mark show. Individual local venues will have... You know, tickets at their church office or in the stores. Again, all that info is available at ianfoster.ca, though. If you want to get tickets to a particular show, we would love to see you next month. What's happening with me? Well, uh, I don't think I talked about this before, but I went to Nashville recently for a couple of days. Sort of a birthday trip. I went to see one of my all-time favorite comedians, Mark Marin. It was his podcast, WTF that got me into podcasts in general. And that format he has of long form, largely unedited, uh, fairly open and honest conversation with people was a huge inspiration behind this podcast. And of course, since Mark, I I got into so many other great long form conversation podcasts that are out there. Um, And uh, anyway, I've just loved his comedy. I've loved his outlook. He has one of my favorite quotes when someone asked him who his audience is. He said, I don't have a demographic. I have a disposition. (laughs) That's the kind of comedian Mark Merritt is. Anyway, I had a great time. I ate some amazing Southern comfort food, had Jenny's ice cream, went and saw Mark at, uh, at their version of the arts and culture center, essentially in Nashville. Um, and it was it was a great time with some some great friends uh, along for the ride. So so that was really fun. What else is happening? Well, David Chafe's CD release is is imminent now. I recorded this album of classical piano uh, back in late September, and I really had a blast trying to capture that behemoth of an instrument that is the grand piano. We used a bunch of different mics of mine and a couple of rentals, and. I've recorded pianos over the years, but never as specifically and intensely as this one was recorded for that sort of solo piano-focused 
performance. So uh, that was a really great experience. That album should be available in the next couple of weeks. If you want to pick yourselves up a Christmas gift, I would recommend it. It is called Still. And I'm going to be releasing some tracks on my social media of um, individual performances, but with the different mics highlighted. So like what room mics on a grand piano sound like versus close mics. Uh, it's something that I think is just really cool to hear. Whether you're an audiophile or not, you'll definitely hear the difference. And it just gives you a little insight into the recording process if that's something you're into. So look me up on Facebook and Instagram and those things. It'll, it'll be on there um, if it's not already currently on there by the time you're listening to this episode. My guest today on the podcast is Rob Cook, the reverend at St. Mark's Anglican Church. So when we did our Christmas show there last year, that's when we met Rob, and he was a very cool guy to deal with all the way through the the pre-show thing, which people often don't think about. The pre-show thing is like months of low-grade conversation leading up to the show. You get to know the people you're working with before the event even happens. That's just how shows happen. So he was great to deal with then. He was great to deal with at the show, after the show. He's been on our social media, Nancy and my social media, for the last year. We followed his posts and his take on on things, and I just knew he would be a really great conversation in 2019 to have about the church's role in our society, at least the Anglican church's role, and a lot of different topics like faith, what that actually is, like mental illness and depression, and what the church's relationships should be there for their congregation members, what a church even does in 2019. These are all things that, as a person who grew up Anglican, I was very excited to talk to um, a minister that I felt like I could really relate to and I knew would just be very honest on microphone and would be himself just like he is off microphone. Um and I was right, I think. You can obviously judge for yourself when you listen to this, but I think it's a very raw and honest conversation about all those topics and so much more. So I'm really excited to share this one with you. I know it's a little bit different from the uh, creators about how and why they do what they do tag, that it's been mostly artists who've been on this podcast, but I just think it's a, it's a cool conversation to have. And of course, timely, because we are coming back to St. Mark's this year uh, because we enjoyed our time there um, at that church for our Christmas show so much. So... I hope you enjoy getting to know Rob a little bit more, and uh, here's part one of our conversation. Hey, Rob. Hey, Ian. How's it going? It's great. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, I really just brought you here to answer one question for me. Um, okay, no pressure. Uh, no pressure at all. Uh, I grew up Anglican, uh -huh. and I used to go to the cathedral when I was younger. And I was in the server's guild, and I wore the robes. And my question for you is, why did I have to move that candle back and forth so many times during the service? <laughs> I'm probably going to have to say I don't know. <laughs> because the Anglican church that I'm a part of is very different from the cathedral. Right. Uh, we're what's called a low church. Right. And less so, candle moving. Less candle moving. No candle moving, actually. Really? Yeah. How do you even do it without all that moving of the candle? We just fill it up with other things. <laughs> More time for tea and coffee and cookies after. Oh, great. Oh, my gosh. That would have been, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, so so I, I've got a lot to talk to you about. But tell me, let's start from the very beginning. Where, you, where were you born? I was born in a very small fishing village in central Newfoundland in Notre Dame Bay called Leading Tickles. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No Leading Tickles. 
Cool. Mm-hmm. How long did you live there? I uh, lived there till I was, I think I moved away when I was 19, went off to Alberta. Okay. What happened there? Uh, realized I hate Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> well, no offense to Albertans who are listening, but it just wasn't for me. We, we went to Fort McMurray. Okay. And I was 19, no, I was 20. In my Oil was, stuff, like was it? Yeah. I was just had a out of high school, kind of trying to find out what I wanted to do, and everybody was saying you got to go to Alberta, so I went to Alberta, right? And I realized I didn't like it, right? And I really didn't have any work experience, so I was just like a laborer at stuff, mm-hmm. and didn't like the winters there, right? We lasted about six months, okay. Then we came back, back to Newfoundland, right? We were then. Back to leading tickles okay. for another little while. Okay, uh, still really didn't know what I wanted to do, uh, but in the process, our first daughter was born, Victoria, and uh, we decided we were going to pack up and move not all the way across the country again, but we went to Peterborough, Ontario. Oh yeah, and I went to college there. Cool. Did my first theology degree, so that was four years. Tell me about that. And I'm, I'm curious in, in the broadest way you can tell me what theology school is like. <laughs> um, so full confession. So you were talking about the Anglican church. I didn't grow up Anglican. Yes. I, I grew that. up I grew up Pentecostal. Right. Right. Oh, we're going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. Right. With this great plan that I was going to be a Pentecostal pastor. Right. Youth pastor was my focus in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people that I was there for about five minutes and I realized I'm not going to be a Pentecostal pastor. Okay. Tell me about that. Like why, why not? I was, I, I'm all, I've always been a person that asks a lot of questions mm-hmm. and I never got answers to the questions that I liked. Mm. And I thought, um, because I was always kind of a, an avid reader and like to figure things out for myself. And, you know, that's to my mother's credit because she always encouraged me to, to, to read and, and, and figure things out on my own, even though I ended up somewhere where she is completely not there. Um, so I always had these questions and I never really got the answers that I wanted. And I thought if I go off and study this stuff myself, well, then I'll come to a better understanding of it. And I really didn't. It just opened up more questions. And more questions and more questions. And, uh, you know, I, I started to see a lot of theological differences between where I was and where the tradition that I'd, I'd come from. No disrespect to, you know, that tradition. But it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so... And did you grow up Pentecostal in Leading Tickle? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I was kind of in and out of the church. Right. Was involved, wasn't involved... You know, um, and I always found that it was a very, uh, I don't know if this was your experience in the Anglican church, but like it was easy, it was easy to get out and it was easy to get back in again. Like Mm -hmm. there was this, you know, and because there was such a focus on the kind of the legalistic side in the Pentecostal church, right? So it was easy to make a statement that you weren't, you know, religious anymore. You go have a smoke it by the... I bought a rec center or, you know, right. you get drunk on Friday night. Like it was very public. Everybody knew who you were. So you could kind of make a statement to say, okay, I'm not that anymore. But then there was also a very public way back in again, right? Right. On Sunday, you know, the crisis conversion all over again. Right. So my teen years was a lot of that. Right. In and out, in and out. Very unsettled. Right. 
Uh, maybe it hasn't changed that much over the years. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the four years, and it was a really it was a good experience because mm-hmm. I learned a lot, and I'm an, you know uh, I like to explore new ideas, and so always kind of on the fringe of where everybody else was, mm-hmm. right? So if somebody said, "Oh, you shouldn't read so and so," well, I had to go and read totally that theologian or this kind of theology is really you know not orthodox. It's not okay. Well, okay, I got to read that stuff now. Right, <laughs> right? yeah. I, and I'm still like that now. Um, so it was a, it was a, uh, interesting four years. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. Uh, when I left there, I was, what, mid-20s, 25 or something like that. Right. Decided to come back to Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. I had applied to some different schools because I, I felt like through the whole experience that I, I really wanted to be an academic. Mm-hmm. And so the next logical step for me was to do a master's degree. Right. And I'd applied to a few schools, got accepted, and they were like schools in Ontario. And then somebody brought to my attention that was there was a theology school here in St. John's, mm-hmm. Queen's College, right. which I'd never heard of before, even though I knew people who had gone through it because it's an Anglican school. And in order to become an Anglican priest, you would you know, probably have to go through there. So I applied, got accepted, came back here, and really in a place where I didn't know where I fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we came back to St. John's, we got uh, connected with a local Pentecostal church. I won't say their name because I'm probably going to say bad things about them. <laughs> um, but it just, it didn't feel right to me anymore. Uh, what was it that didn't feel right? It was. It felt way too constrictive mm. for me, or restrictive. Like I had been exposed to all these different ideas and ways of viewing things, and it, it felt like my own faith had been kind of blown wide open, mm-hmm. and it had like it escaped. Mm. And there, I felt like it wanted to be pushed back down, mm. right? And that didn't feel good. So. Then we started going to a, a Baptist church, which I, the people were really friendly. Uh, you know, I felt a bit more at home there. But then I realized that they don't, they're not okay with the ordination of women. Mm. And I thought, I have two young daughters who I tell at home that they can be anything that they want. Mm-hmm. How can I take them to church where somebody's telling them, but you can't be this? Right. Yeah. So that ended that. <laughs> and then uh, the stars aligned, and I was invited to go to St. Mark's Anglican Church as the youth minister. Shitty pay. <laughs> really <laughs> shitty pay. <laughs> uh, and so at this point, I've prob- I think I had finished my master's degree or just about ready to finish my master's degree. Uh-huh. I was invited to come, and uh, the person who asked me to come, her name is Reverend Sandra Tilly. I don't know if you know her, or people might know her that are listening. And uh, she invited me to come, and she said, you don't have to come to church. We're just looking for some help to get this kind of thing off the ground. So my wife and my two daughters, we all went to church and was kind of like coming home. Like the people were welcoming uh, I had a I I really like the the liturgy, even mm-hmm. though it's you know on the lower end of the spectrum for the Anglican Church. Mm-hmm. I love the you know 
communion. Mm-hmm. Can we jump in here for a second? Because I'm really curious about the difference between low Anglican and high Anglican. And okay. I say that as someone who, I guess, is, was Anglican. Like, I, I sort of understand it. And I bet you there's lots of people who yeah. don't. <laughs> so when I say low Anglican, it means that there's not as much emphasis on the formality of the worship. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, really, really low Anglican, you probably wouldn't have the robes. Right. There wouldn't be the candles. Right. Uh, and there's a much more just relaxed feel to to the to the liturgy. Right. In the high church, it's really not that much different from, say, like the Roman Catholic tradition. Right. A very high view of communion of the of the Eucharist uh, and probably more of a transubstantiation view of the Eucharist, that this is actually the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So you better be serious about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more more formality, more pomp to to the Eucharist. Now, I'm not saying that the informal is better than the formal. That's just the two different expressions, broad expressions Absolutely. of Anglicanism. It, I'm sure it makes a big difference, though, for the congregations who yeah. would go to one versus the other, though, Yeah. in terms of how they approach the church. It does. I mean, I guess it, it all, it, it really has to do with what you're used to. Right. What you're brought into. Yes. Right? What you're raised in. Um, so where I serve now, because I'm still at St. Mark's, very low church. But I've often said to people that if if I, you know, stopped working for the church, if I wasn't a priest, if I had another gig doing something else that's not churchy, I would probably gravitate more towards a high church. Oh, really? Mm. Why is that? There's something about you the, want to move the candle, don't you? I get I it. I do. Yeah, I never got to move the camera, <laughs> the, the candle. Um, there's something about the ritual, and there's something because the 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 high church is the more traditional, right? To me, there's something about worshiping, praying, singing, moving, like people have done for a long time. Mm-hmm. That you know, my grandparents, my great great grandparents, my ancestors did this, right? And that there's something, there's still something in it. Mm. It still means something. Uh, there's still because I think really what we're trying to do in church on Sunday is not that different from what someone is trying to do in meditation or yoga or being out in, in nature. You're trying to connect with something. That's really all church is about. Mm-hmm. You're trying to connect with, with something. And for some people, that's they would call that God. For some people, it's you know connecting with the other people in the room with you, but it's mm-hmm. it's something outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's something that's kind of transcultural almost, mm-hmm. right? That it's beyond. So, you know, when I turn on the radio or when I turn on the TV, there's this other thing in church that's different from everything else, right? It's got its own language, its own movement, its own meaning. And it's been that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think there's something really powerful about that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but on the other hand, I'm also comfortable with new expressions of of doing that, right? right. Because it doesn't, that thing doesn't mean... Uh, 
It doesn't have the same meaning to everybody. So this is the duality that has always fascinated me about mm. the church and why I still remain fascinated in religion in general. I almost did a religious studies minor really? because cool. I was, and we'll talk about that maybe yeah. a little, but um, I, I think that what you're describing makes complete sense and yet is also a thing that sometimes people level against the church because they Definitely. go, the church is yeah. backwards on Say marriage equality, which I know is a hot button topic that you posted about a few days ago, and yes. I certainly want to talk about that some more. But but you're right. I mean, you can preserve traditions. Traditions are great. I mean, I go have Christmas dinner with my parents. It's a tradition. It feels good to me. It's heartwarming. It's no yes. different than what you're describing. It's a connection to the people in my life, and absolutely, I love that. But it, sometimes it seems that that can get kind of polluted in. Well, we've always done this yes. social thing this way or this right. cultural thing this way mm-hmm. and it can't move. So how does the church successfully address this duality? I think one really helpful thing for me is to kind of strip it down to its bare essentials. And so I would pick up on what you just said about family, right? So when you go and have a meal with your family, um, you might not you know, you don't take out a book and say, okay, you know, we're all, we're right. going to follow this liturgy now, this order of, but you do know how things are going to unfold. Right. Right. There's usually not much, uh, you know, deviance from, from the order of, you know, so you go to your parents, maybe they meet you at the door, you greet each other, you might hug each other, especially if you haven't seen each other for a long time. Right. Right. You're led into probably another room, a gathering room where you sit down and maybe uh, you, you're catching up. Right. right. So you're, you're, you're sharing stories uh, about how things are going. But then also you might say, remember that time? Remember when Uncle Joe did that really funny thing? Right. Or remember that tragedy? You know, when Aunt Susie died unexpectedly. Right. right? right. The church really does the same thing. Right. We gather together. We tell each other stories. We read from scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also we make connections between that the stories of our ancestors and what's going on in our own lives. That's really what a sermon is. Mm -hmm. Um, We also, when we, you know, the whole point of gathering with family is to share a meal. Mm -hmm. That's really what the church is doing. Especially the Anglican and Roman Catholic, the more liturgical expressions of Christianity. At the heart of what we do is a meal, Mm -hmm. right? And we're repeating the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on that night before he died, Mm -hmm. which was... A Jewish Seder meal, right? <laughs> right. So this goes way, 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 way back. But the act of gathering together over a meal is something that's kind of common to all humanity, right? right? And so I think at essence, what the church does is, you know, we gather together, we share stories, we listen to stories, we share a meal together, and then we go back out into the world mm-hmm. to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, in in um, Roman Catholic tradition, they call their gathering the Mass. It's really Latin for dismissal, hmm. right? You, you you are gathered to be dismissed, right? To be right. sent out, right? To to go. Okay, so you you've heard these stories, you've been fed with this meal. Now go out and do this stuff, right? Live it, right? The problem is we put so many layers on top of this, right? So. You got to stand in this certain place. You got to move that candle right. in that certain place, uh, and that can overshadow what we're actually doing, mm. which is this very simple act: gathering together, 
sharing stories, sharing a meal, and then being, being sent back out into the world. Right. So as far as the duality goes, especially in the world we live in right now, where we've seen a big change, uh, we've moved from a, a, a space where the church had a lot of cultural um, influence, power, authority, to one now where the church doesn't have, right? A world where everybody knew, everybody could speak the language of church. They had a basic understanding of the Bible and the stories of the Bible, basic understanding of, of the, the theology to a world now where people don't. But we've, yet we've still inherited this way of doing things. So I, I kind of feel like we're in this in-between time now where we've got all this stuff that we've inherited. Some of it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Some of it's not. Mm-hmm. Some of it we need to keep. Some of it we don't need to keep. Mm-hmm. But there's this real uncertainty now about, well, what will it look like? What does it need to look like in order for it to speak to people, and be meaningful to people? I can't help but go back to the gathering together, telling stories, being fed, and then being sent back out into the world. Right. And then when you throw in something like music, it still is could be a very and is a very powerful experience for people. Yes. Well, right. I've been to a couple of Pentecostal churches over the years, and the first time I went is very funny to me because I'm like, geez, these guys have got drum kits and stuff? <laughs> like, again, yeah. and I know my St. Mark's has, because, when I mean, I'll say this probably in my monologue at the beginning, but, I mean, we played a Christmas concert, yeah. and that's how we know you, mm-hmm. uh, Nancy and I, last year at St. Mark's, and, you know, I was extremely impressed with the back line, the, the, the you know, that you guys had. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you have those tools, and again, it was just something I never grew up with in the High Anglican Church, and I found that interesting, you know, I've had that conversation with my folks sometimes, and, and I think it's kind of, you know, I obviously phrase it sort of funny. And I'm like, man, you guys just need some electric guitars. That's what you. <laughs> it's it's not. I know what you're saying, but it's not that simple. Right. So a of lot course, of people will of say, OK, we got to do away with all the traditional liturgy and we got to have, you know, hip new music and electric guitars and smoke machines. And, and if we do that, all the young people are going to come running back. Yeah. I, I find that personally completely ridiculous. It, it doesn't work. Yes. It does not work. Um, but neither are people flocking for the, you know, incense and the... Right. What we call the bells and smells. Right? But I think we're in a world now where people... There's so many different options for people. Mm-hmm. It used to be that the church was it. Mm-hmm. If you wanted religion, if you wanted God, you had to come to the church. Because mm-hmm. we had God. Literally, in the form of a... A wafer. A, yeah. Of a wafer and a cup of wine. Yeah. Now you don't have to come to us to experience God. Yeah, I right. listened to a fantastic startup series where um, they were dealing in this particular episode with startup churches, just mm-hmm. like any other business, essentially, yeah. was their approach. But they talked about, this was in the States, but they talked about being, uh, there was one particular potential congregation member who was shopping around for her church. And these mm-hmm. are the terms that even she was using and saying that I, even though I moved here from Florida or wherever, uh, I haven't picked a church yet. So each Sunday I've been tuning in to the live stream of my church in Florida, even mm-hmm. though I live across country 
Yeah. And it was fascinating to me as a musician, as you can imagine, because the the topic of the day for musicians every day is streaming services are killing music. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to go, wow, streaming services are affecting literally everything, even down to the church in that case. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of, I wouldn't say pressure, but you know, there's a definite push for even like for us at St. Mark's to be offering these things. Right. Uh, so How do you people, feel about that? I, I'm totally okay with it. Um, I'm maybe I'm a bit old fashioned, but I still think there's no substitute for people getting together in a room <laughs> uh, and, and and around a table. Now, whether that table's in church, sure, or a coffee shop or a pub. Right. But there's something powerful about people coming together around a table. Well, again, as a further comparison, I yeah. mean, how do you think I feel? That's like live shows. Yeah. Right? The same concept of exactly. Don't just watch it on the TV or stream it on your computer. Yeah. Like come experience the thing. Yeah. Now, it can be an alternative for people that, you know, if you can't be present, you know, but I'm 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 a bit old fashioned. I, I still think that there's, you know, something powerful about people coming together. But I think in the world we live in, we do have to make you know, we have to make what we do as accessible as possible. Right. Whether that's in the physical space of the room or for those that want to join online. Like for us, social media, like at, at St. Mark's. So in our, our traditional parish list, we have about 400 people. We have a Facebook page. Uh, last time I checked it was creeping up towards 900 people. Hmm. So I can preach, and like, so we have a, like I say, a, a Sunday, average Sunday attendance of anywhere from, you know, 175 to 250 people, depends on the time of the of the year. Sure. So I can preach a sermon in church, and that many people hear it. I can post a sermon on Facebook, and that many people hear it. Mm. Right? What do you make of that? It's just a world we live in, right? Uh, that... And it's more convenient, obviously, to sit at home. But I think with the, there's good things about technology, but technology does also seem to be kind of pulling us apart a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Where it's it's easier to sit at home and click a link than it is actually get out and go and be in a room with other people, probably people you don't, you might not agree with them on everything. They might look a bit different than you and sound a bit different from you. But community is messy. Hmm. And sometimes I'm afraid we're losing some of that stuff. Right. Right. That we want easy. We want everybody to be like us. Mm-hmm. True community is not like that. It's a bit more, a bit messier. Right. Do you think it's a result of the written in stone-ness of the internet? Like the idea that if you end up in a moral argument with someone, like I I, I uh, creeped your Facebook, you know, uh, to, <laughs> to remind myself of things I want to talk about with you uh, like a few days ago. And I definitely saw a few dissenting opinions, shall oh, yeah, we say, sure. of things that you've posted, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that's just a public record of a conversation mm-hmm. that is just there where I I mean, we've all had those conversations in person. I'm sure you had them every day at, at the church where someone comes up and goes, listen, I really disagree with you about this and here's why. And you have to talk it out with them. But two things about that. I don't get to see it as Ian Foster, right? Uh, you know, a, a, just a bystander 
who's not normally interacting with you on a daily basis that I can go and read through mm-hmm. a conversation like that. And also, I don't think that the conversation ever really happens on social media because it's just sort of like a comment. Maybe there's some back and forth and then it's just what left. It's It, it always... You know, it just sort of looks like the the version of someone just turned and walked away in the middle of a conversation and they never returned, you know? Yeah, or somebody drives by and shits at some, something as they're driving by and they just keep going. Right? Yeah. You don't get a chance to engage. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, you know, the benefit of social media is that you get to reach more people. Right. The downside to social media is that you don't get to go deeper with people. Right. So you're 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 reaching more people, but it's more surface level mm-hmm. rather than sitting down like this right like we're doing two people in the same room that's why i started this right you yeah. get to follow up okay so i say something and it triggers something in you and you ask me another question and the conversation flows more mm-hmm. whereas in social media it's more staccato like it just right there's bits and pieces of it totally right totally um plus you get this weird like the joke that i've always made to people is is facebook is like the the bar and everyone's had two drinks or maybe three and and suddenly it's like an argument breaks out and no one wants to get involved but everyone just stands around and watches it and maybe someone decides to jump in and now that person's fighting with some and then everyone just goes you know we can't stay in this bar anymore let's go over to the twitter bar i don't even want to be in this bar you know (laughs) or the instagram bar oh my god the twitter bar was way worse than the facebook bar you know like that is social media now it's it's this bizarre you could post something someone could comment something on yours and and suddenly your friends are arguing with this person and it's just i don't know if there's a healthiness there no and it's so easy to uh, like say if, if we're having an exchange on on facebook and you say something that i don't like it's really easy for me to either unfollow you or unfriend you and just cut off the conversation and not have to deal with you right right uh to not have to face your opinion mm-hmm. your your way of seeing the world and the more you cut those people off, the more what you're left with is just your view of the world. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this kind of like feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. You, all you hear is what you think. Yeah, the right? bubble. You, you, right? And you just, you're never challenged. You're never confronted. And sometimes I think we need to be confronted. Yes. On, you know, uh, our opinions, our views, our, our faith, uh, the way we see the world. Mm-hmm. So social media... I can can kind of just all the you know the 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 negative things the things that you haven't thought through yourself you're kind of just that's fed back to you mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. and you think this is the way the world is mm-hmm. so I need those dissenting voices mm-hmm. right to call me to account yeah this is why I'm never uncomfortable like with talking to atheists or agnostics because I need them. Totally. Right. I need to hear why they can't believe right. what I believe. Because right. then that makes me think more about what I believe. And it sharpens, right? I can't just say, well, you know, it says in John 3.16 that. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I feel like uh, um, I felt this way about religion as well. But I think of it in, in my role as a producer in studio. It's, it's always a free flow of ideas. Mm-hmm. And if a part is played, uh, maybe a melody is has been devised like a little riff or something and then there's a conversation in the room and if I ever sense for a second that say maybe I've come up with it and the artist is like 
a little nervous about it or something. Like they are like, I don't know if I like it. I'm like, that's fine. Let's try something else because, you know, especially in the digital world from a technical point of view, we got it. It's mm-hmm. there. And if there's something better, like let's get the better thing. If this is good enough, it will stand up to your criticism. Yep. You know, and I've always thought that about like what you're saying too. Like if if the beliefs of system is good enough, yeah. it can stand up to criticism or questions. It needs to critique. Yeah. It, you know, and it, I'll say something really radical now. Okay. I don't think Jesus intended to start another religion. Right. I think what he was doing was critiquing the religion that he was a part of. Right. Like any great prophet. Right. Right. He wasn't, you know, I want you to go out now and build cathedrals and, you know, create this thing called bishops and, and priests and, you know, gather on Sundays and, you know, sing two hymns and then do a reading and, you know. Um, Is there like an robes. Anglican FCC now that will write you and be like, we heard that you said this <laughs> and you're not allowed to say that? <laughs> but, but I think, you know, Jesus was critiquing the religion and the and the politics of his day right uh and it was it was both the religious establishment and the political establishment that didn't like what he was saying and you know it led to his execution right so i think it it but it would it would serve the church well if we kept that in mind and most religions they they came about as an attempt to reform something that already was there and that there should be that kind of renewal all the time to reevaluate what we believe, mm-hmm. what we hold dear. Mm. Uh, and it, it constantly goes through this process. And for in the church, at least in Western, Western Christianity, that happens all the time anyways. Right. Kind of like every 500 years or so, we kind of, you know... Uh, clean out our closets, have a big rummage sale, everything goes out on the lawn, you know, and we keep the things that are really important to us. Right. It feels like we're going through that again. Right. In the church. Right. There's a lot of cleaning house, right? Okay, I don't want this. Oh, this is something that was given to me by my my great-grandfather. I really want to keep this. Right? It feels like that's what the church and all religion Mm. right now is is kind of going through. I'm really with you on this because, like, just to give you a little background... For me, of how I've approached this, when I first went to Mun, I did my intro to Christianity course. This is now many years of going to the cathedral and many years of many candles moved, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day of that course, the professor saying, all right, thanks. This is, you know, intro to New Testament or whatever. And, um, you know, here's the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John written 60 years after Jesus died by their underscribes that they were never it's not actually Matthew Mark Luke and John it's their yeah. people who you know that the 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 way credits worked in those times were that you know it's like this is his gospel so we'll say it's his name but he didn't write it it's somebody mm-hmm. else and i remember just being floored that i'd been going to church for over a decade and it just seemed like that key piece of information not that it changes everything but like that's a pretty that's a pretty substantial yeah. You know, and, and those ideas of like Christianity, you know, didn't become as widespread till it became the official religion of the Roman Empire in, in around 300. So it just sort of existed for 300 years in sort of a cult like way. And then just all these details of the history of the Bible that were just missing from my my vocabulary. And it threw me for a loop. Yeah, because we, we tend to think that the way we experience 
a religious movement now is the way that it's always been. Right. But it's continuously been in flux. Right. So like what you're saying is absolutely right. First 300 years, Christianity was extremely diverse and looked nothing like what we call Christianity today. Right. If anything, it did look more like the Pentecostal tradition. Right. That there was these kind of like small cell groups all over the place and there was different ways to be Christian, different things that they did when they came together. What we call the Bible didn't exist until about 300 years into the history of the church. Yes, and my understanding of this, certainly correct me if I'm wrong, is that essentially, I mean, up until the Romans started using Christianity with with Constantine, it was uh, was someone in the community handwriting a version of the like we need another copy of the Bible. Can we get Joe to write up a new version? And and then monks would scribe out new versions of the Bible. Sometimes they'd put things in the margins, and then things in the margins would end up Creep becoming the text. so like there's all these differences between yeah. the earliest editions of the Bible and stories. I found all that super fascinating. I didn't find it destroyed religion for me or anything. If anything, it 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 just made me feel like the Bible is a document of. Uh, of, 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 of people trying to understand something bigger than what they are for the past 2,000 years. Yeah, and something happened along the way. Well, there was this little thing called the Enlightenment, right? That really, it was a good thing because human beings started to think more critically about the world around them which is a good thing, mm-hmm. right? And so we made huge advances in, in science and politics. Uh, and we, you know, we, we, we started to make sense of the world aside from starting with the idea of there is a God and that everything comes from that, mm-hmm. right? But then there was this big con- conflation between truth and facts. So in order for something to be true, now it has to be factually true, right? We have to be able to prove it. Mm-hmm. It becomes an intellectual thing. Well, up until the Enlightenment, that wasn't the case. Right. Truth was not the same as facts. Actually, the ancient world, they didn't care about facts much at all. Right. Is what whether something was true. Right. right. And so luckily we're not going back to that in a we're big not way going back right to now. That. But 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 well, sometimes it feels like <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, exactly. It's scary but, when you're like it's something can just be true because people believe it. I'm like that sounds like 2018 to me. Uh. <laughs> but in in scripture when say when the word believe is used. Um I mean that's a kind of transliteration of a Greek word. The Greek word is is pistis, Mm -hmm. which gets translated as faith. And so in in Greek, pistis can be a noun, it can be a verb, right? So you're faithing, you have have faith or you're, you're faithing. In English, we get two separate words, faith, and then the verb form is, is believe. Mm. Um, Faith has very little to do with the intellect. It has to do with the heart. It's something that you hold dear to you, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I would distinguish between between two types of, of 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 truth, right? Yes, there are scientific truths, right, uh, that we can verify. Uh, 
that can be proved, that can be replicated through experiment. Yes, there's that kind of truth. But there is a more religious sense of truth, philosophical sense of truth, artistic sense of truth, Mm -hmm. right? You can listen to a piece of music, whether it's a Bob Dylan song or a piece of uh, Beethoven's uh, music, and when you listen to it, it you know that there's it's pointing to something deeper, something true. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't prove that. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in you know the way you feel about someone you love. Mm-hmm. You could go through all kinds of you know rationale of why you love this person, but there's something beyond the traditional understanding of fact, mm-hmm. right? It's not a fact that I love my wife, but it's true. Right. I think that, that I was the thesis for a book I read years ago called Blue Like Jazz, which was a... Yeah. yeah did you? I don't know if you read that one, but it was... Um, I'm trying to remember the author now, but I, I had asked on Facebook, I wanted books for both sides because I'd, I seem to have read enough of the sort of atheist-leaning, disproving books, and mm-hmm. I wanted some some of the other books, yeah. you know, uh, and sort of weigh the, the arguments, I suppose, for mm-hmm. myself, not unlike what you were describing earlier, just wanting to read material that reflected, you know, different things. And, and that was sort of the, you know, there was a lot more to the book, but that was sort of the pitch, which I understood, and I, I think at the time a part of me felt a little like it was a cop-out, even though, as you say it to me here now, yeah. it feels real. I mean, as a musician, I know exactly, it's, it can be called X-Factor, it can be called a lot of things in the music world, just that thing that makes it work. Now, at the same time, to use that same comparison, there's a lot in the music world where you can take a song and break it down into its parts and go, I know why this works. Mm-hmm. I know musically why it's a good song because, you know, these chords go well together or, you know, you can look at the technical performance of one of the musicians involved in the pieces. Yeah. But there's still this other extra piece mm-hmm. that either makes you like it or not or love it or not, you know. Yeah. Um, but I feel like people struggle with that with the church. Is it because they're holding it to a different kind of standard? Do they need it to be absolute? Is that the is that the reason why? Well, I think the church has always portrayed itself as absolute. Right. It has said, come to us. If you're looking for truth, come to us. Here it is. Mm. We have it in this nice little package. You just you take it. Don't ask us any questions about it. Mm. It's absolute. Right. Whether that's, you know, God created everything in seven days. Jesus is the son of God. The church has absolute authority in all matters of, you know, earthly uh, living. Um, And so as we, you know, moved into the modern period and now we're coming out of the other side of that in something called postmodernism, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. people are skeptical of anything absolute like that. Mm -hmm. People want to question. Actually, there's more questions now than there are answers. Probably Mm -hmm. there always was. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think the church has portrayed itself as being in the the business of absolutes. Mm -hmm. And I think we're, we're realizing, you know, absolutes don't work whether it's absolutes presented by the church or absolutes presented by capitalism or absolutes presented by you know whatever there's something there's a, a, a there's a mysteriousness to to life right to existence that we can't 
fully explained. There's something more to it. Right. Right. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a, a series on TV called Cosmos. Yeah. I don't know if you watched it. I have the, I have the book. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. The astrophysicist uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is is the host. And it just goes through the entire, like, history of the universe and human beings and all. And I watched it. It was such a a deeply spiritual experience for me. Mm. And it wasn't presenting, you know, anything about God or anything like that. But Mm. as I listened to it, there's something deeply mysterious about it, about the origins of the universe. But there was a question that they couldn't answer. They could give you some rationale, some theories about why, about you know how all this stuff came into being. Mm-hmm. But they can't tell you why. Right. This is where I think there's still room for religion, for philosophy, for art, for music, for theater, because it's trying to get at that question: Why are we here? Right. Why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there injustice in the world? I think religion is trying to address those things. Right. right? And so we need both. It's not either or, it's both and. Right. We need the scientists who are pushing the frontiers of of what we know about the world, how we got here. Right. But we also need the poets and the preachers and the philosophers and the songwriters who are telling us why we're here. Right? It's both at the same time. And they can hopefully, you know, be humble enough to, to acknowledge that we, we need each other. Yeah. Sadly, they're not. Right. <laughs> most of the time. Uh, because, you know, I, I'm like everybody, I'm sure you've been on the internet at late in, at night and you come across a debate between... Richard Dawkins and, um, you know, Ken Ham, who's the founder of the Creation Museum down in the States. And they're debating, right? And so Richard Dawkins gets up and he says, religion is horrible. It's a plague upon humanity. Look at all the horrible things religion has done. Mm -hmm. Ken Ham gets up and says, well, religion is great because, you know, look at all the wonderful things religion has done. Builds hospitals and schools and all this charitable giving, all out of people's sense of, of faith in, in, in God or some higher power. And so when you listen, they're really saying the same thing. Right. Right? They're saying that there is good and bad in the world, and we should pursue the good. Right. And so rather than you know dwelling there, they go into the, to the differences. Right. I just find that really boring. Yeah, I understand that. I, I mean, that's... Again, why I arrived in the place I did with that Bart Ehrman book and thinking about it that way. Because I feel like when you look at a history of the Bible from a history standpoint as opposed to a spiritual standpoint, Mm -hmm. it's like this is a record of all, you know, this is, yes, it sounds inspiring to say this is people trying to figure things out, but there was also tons of bad things. Mm -hmm. But but that's part of it. That's part of it's written by flawed people trying to come to terms with something that they don't understand. Yes. You know, that's the middle ground I've kind of arrived yeah in, i suppose it, i i liken it to uh a family photo album that you're given right and you you look through it and you know oh remember that trip and you know but oh there's uncle so-and-so we don't talk about him because, right <laughs> right he did you know those bad things i find the bible is a lot like that right 
And I, I think of it too as a, it's a living document mm-hmm. that it's, you know, so I'm not a fundamentalist that says everything we need to know is in contained in this book, mm-hmm. but that what we know about God, however you understand that, whatever we know about the universe, it's unfolding. Mm-hmm. So we are still writing this, mm-hmm. right? I saw a meme the other day on Facebook that said the worst thing we ever did with the Bible was put a back cover on it. <laughs> because we're still, it's still being written. Right. The truth is still being, you know, uh, revealed. Right. I feel sometimes that we understand, we clearly understand so much more than ancient peoples, but in some ways we understand less. Like I look at the Bible and the period in which it was constructed of you know, whatever hundreds of years that, you know, the current books came to be in it. And I think about the fact that those were people who used symbolism and metaphor because it was part of the culture when this book was created. Then the book didn't change. We know it did, but, Mm -hmm. you know, essentially, supposedly stayed exactly the same from now then to now. And we have learned so much more in those intervening years, like during the Enlightenment, like you're describing. Mm -hmm. And yet we're still willing to say, well, this is the on-airing, like we're actually going back to going, no, this is the literal word of God. When the people who literally wrote the book would have said, what are you talking about? We don't think of things they that way. We think of things sim- symbolically. Yeah. There's a New Testament scholar, John Dominic Crossan, and he says, I'm not sure if I'm going to quote him absolutely correctly, but he says, it's not that the ancient people were so stupid that they believed these things literally. It's that we're the stupid ones to think that they believed it literally. Right. They had more of an understanding, I would say, a, an accurate understanding of what Scripture was trying to to accomplish. Mm-hmm. We think that they were so backwards and they, they read this literally. No, they didn't. They knew that it was metaphor. Mm. It was pointing to something uh, beyond the words on the page. Mm. Right? So it's not that the, the written down words are what's inspired. It's what's behind, what's the story behind the word. So to take uh, the figure of, of Jesus in the Gospels, right? So if you sit down with all four of the Gospels and you'll see that, you know, so Jesus says this in one Gospel and says something different in another Gospel. He does, you know, uh, you know, a miracle in one particular order in one Gospel. In another Gospel, he does it somewhere else. So like in the Gospel of John, the cleansing of the temple is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the, the other Gospels, it's at the end, just before he dies. So you could you could say, ah, it's not true. That didn't happen because the child. No, they're both trying to tell you something different about the significance of that story. So in a sense, it doesn't really matter when or where, or I would even say if Jesus did that. Mm-hmm. What is it trying to tell us right. about God, about us? about our relationship with God, about our relationship with each other. Hey, how was that? Pretty interesting, eh? I know, we've got to put a pin in it for one week, so tune in next week when you'll hear part two of my conversation with Rob Cook, and you can like and subscribe to this podcast on all the usual apps. Find us there, rate us there, tell a friend, tell your mom. Talk to you soon.